Chapter Twenty Nine of Saint Charles Borromeo: A Sketch of the Reforming Cardinal by Louise M. Stackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twenty Nine: Passing Clouds. Philip Neri and Charles Borromeo had been friends for many years. Their mutual affection and veneration were so great that, as we have seen, they were bound together in a holy love resembling that of David and Jonathan. Very pleasant had this friendship been to them. They had encouraged, consoled, advised, and occasionally generously treated each other to spiritual alms, generally given in a half-jesting manner, but always received with profound gratitude. Now a little cloud arose that threatened to diminish somewhat the harmony that had hitherto marked their intercourse. In 1581, Duke William of Bavaria asked the reforming cardinal to arrange that everything defective and wrong in the carrying out of divine service in his dominions should be set right. Accordingly, Charles entreated Gregory Thirteenth to send two priests versed in the sacred ceremonies to that country. The Pope selected two priests of the oratory of San Gorolamo, and Charles at once jumped to the conclusion that they were sons of St. Philip. He was delighted, and wrote expressing his gratification at this appointment, mentioning that the duke also was well pleased. The priest, however, felt unable to undertake so long a journey. Their courage failed, and they absolutely refused to go to Bavaria. Charles was grievously disappointed, and he wrote to Philip, telling him he could not have believed it possible that fathers of the oratory would so shrink their plain duty, actually disobeying the sovereign pontiff. Philip replied as follows, the Pope sent me a note yesterday, written by you, in which you showed that you are displeased with us, believing that two of our fathers had promised to go to Bavaria, and afterwards refused to go, thus disobeying the commands of the Pope. Therefore I write to you with the same frankness that you yourself always use, to clear up this matter and to let you know the truth. The two priests are not members of our congregation, but chaplains of the Confraternity of Charity at San Girolamo, and are not connected with us. We are incapable of such contumacy. Were it otherwise, we should consider ourselves guilty of grievous error and sin, from which we pray God always to deliver us. We entreat you to pray for us, and if at any time you hear of anything, either in me or in any of our fathers, that requires correction, I beg of you yourself to perform this act of charity towards us, and we will accept such correction as a great favor. June fifteenth, fifteen 1581 Not content with writing this explanation, Philip sent a certificate, signed by the two priests of San Girolamo, testifying that there was no connection between their confraternity and the oratory, and that Philip had nothing to do with their refusal to go to Bavaria. This proceeding deeply wounded Charles. He wrote to Philip the following letter of reproach. Assuredly, I did not require the formal certificate of the two priests to convince me they did not belong to your congregation. Your word was enough. This is inordinate affection towards your own congregation. Probably you justify it to yourself, but it is a matter on which I have something to say to you, and I will gladly say it when we meet. In the meantime, I commend myself to your prayers. Previous to the Bavarian episode, there had been, for a very short time, however, a slight coolness between themselves. Philip had recalled his sons from Milan a short time before the plague broke out, and while it raged, Charles had written to Monsignor Speciano, expressing his regret that they had been removed when they would have been most useful, and hoping that Philip would send them back again. Philip declined to do so, and a correspondence ensued on the re-establishment of the oratory at Milan. 
Charles was annoyed at the time that Philip had taken them away when their services were most required, and sometimes half playfully remarked that Philip was a man without compassion. Then they had differed on the subject of the right to be used by the Oratorians in Milan, their founder insisting that they should use the Roman rite, and Charles declaring that when in Milan they should do as the Milanese did and follow the Ambrosian rite. They had also had several discussions over San Simone, the house assigned to them, the fathers of the oratory thinking it too far away from the centre of the city, while the archbishop had at the time no other convent to give them, but he was most desirous that they should settle in his diocese. He accordingly wrote to Monsignor Speciano, I shall have much pleasure in seeing those fathers from San Girolamo, who are to come to San Simone, in Milan, particularly the one you praise so highly, and all my clergy and attendants will make much of them. I don't want the same thing to happen to them that happened to that father, who came with Miserbarba, without a celebrate, and whom I could not permit to offer up the divine sacrifice. In case Father Philip does not care for San Simone, as you hint, I will look out for some other place for them, for I acknowledge that San Simone is rather out of the way. But soon afterwards the Oratorians left San Simone and quitted Milan for good, nor did they return there until both Philip and Charles were canonized saints. In 1582 these two holy men met again in Rome, and discoursed on many things, with much joy and pleasure in each other's society, and with great spiritual profit to their souls, for it seemed as though all these little differences of opinion had only strengthened their mutual veneration and affection. The cloud was quickly dispelled, the little rift within the lute failed to make the music mute, and the friends continued to love and esteem each other, the marked differences in their characters only binding them more closely together. Their hearts were of each other's shore. It is the secret sympathy, the silver link, the silken tie, which heart to heart and mind to mind, in body and in soul combined. A common sorrow soon drew them yet closer together. On Sunday, April twenty fifth, fifteen eighty two, the dearly loved sister of Charles, Princess Anna of Colonna, fell asleep in Jesus. She had been for years the docile, fervent penitent of Philip and he had led her through thorny paths to a high degree of perfection. Both men felt her loss, for she was inexpressibly dear to them. It was, however, a source of pure joy to them to know that her last moments had been peaceful and happy. Father Fabrizio S.J. describes her death as follows. When Anna was dying, everything about her breathed the holiest Christian perfection, but the greatest holiness was in her soul. She was apparently set free, not only from bodily miseries, but also from the scruples that had troubled her during life. She went forth to meet her heavenly bridegroom with ineffable love and with great humility and self-distrust, but with perfect confidence in him, so with ardent affections towards God, and the full light of the Holy Spirit, not cast down by pain, she went to take her place amongst those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Saviour. On May 4, 1582, Charles wrote to his friend the Duke of Tuscany as follows, her death was as edifying and glorious as her life. Death must open the gates of eternal life to one whose life was a death in life. She is gone to receive the reward exceedingly great, promised to those who work and suffer in this life. Never have I felt so profound a sorrow. My heart is cleft in twain, and I can never sufficiently venerate her remains or honor her noble deeds. Our family owe her everlasting gratitude, for she has embellished it by her virtues and helped us by her example. 
Her loss causes us poignant anguish, but we must endeavor to hush the sorrowful throbbings of our hearts and be resigned to the divine will. When we think over all the circumstances of her death, we must gratefully acknowledge that we have to thank God from our hearts for having dealt so graciously with his good and faithful handmaid. End of chapter 29